Amen. If you have your Bibles, open to the book of Isaiah. And thank you for being here, the Global Impact Celebration. I remember when I was a kid, there were, um, there were times when the, the preacher at church would stand up and welcome people, and then he would begin to read the passage of Scripture before the message. And oftentimes that was a lot of, of verses or what felt like a lot of verses. And, and so as a kid, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, he's going to read all day long. And he just keeps on reading and then finally gets to the message. <clears throat> well, we're about to do that right now. Uh, so I'm going to read to you eight verses. It's just eight verses, but we're going to read them because we're going to reference them the entire time. And so I, I say all that to say this. This is the Word of God. Amen. This is the word of God that we're about to read. So let's all focus in and, and even trust the Holy Spirit to guide you in the truth as, as you read it, as we read it together and for ourselves. Amen. Let's read Isaiah 56, verses 1 through 8. Again, a reminder of, of the, uh, as the first verse starts, in verse 1, 56, 1. This is what the Lord says. Be just and fair to all. Do what is right and good. For I'm coming soon to rescue you and to display my righteousness among you. Blessed are all those who are careful to do this. And blessed are those who honor my Sabbath days of rest and keep themselves from doing wrong. Don't let foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord say, The Lord will never let me be part of this people. And don't let eunuchs say, I'm a dried up tree with no children and no future. For this is what the Lord says. I will bless those eunuchs who keep my Sabbath days holy and who choose to do what pleases me and commit their lives to me. I will give them within the walls of my house a memorial and a name far greater than sons and daughters could give. For the name I give them is an everlasting one, and it will never disappear. I will also bless the foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord, who serve and love his name, who worship him and do not desecrate the Sabbath day of rest. And who hold fast to my covenant. I will bring them to my holy mountain of Jerusalem and fill them with joy in my house of prayer. I will accept their burnt offerings and sacrifices because my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. For all nations. For the sovereign Lord who brings back the outcast of Israel says, I will bring others too besides my people Israel. Lord, would you please guide us into all truth today. Lord, where we are weak, make us strong. And where we are strong, keep us humble. I'm so grateful for your word. I'm so grateful for this church and these great people. But Lord, if there's anything good about this place, it is all because of you. It is because of your greatness. It's your work in us. And we're grateful, Lord, for how you've gotten to us. Lord, may we treasure your word and your calling so much that we would get to others. Lord, we thank you for this time. We don't stop and pray because it's traditional. We don't stop and pray because this is the time in the service where the pastor does that. We stop and we pray because we need you. And we freely admit that. So challenge us and change us today, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. This passage of Scripture speaks of God's restoration of his people Israel. God is bringing them back. Now, this is the historical context part, so don't lose track. Stay with me. Israel had disobeyed God for a long time. 
God had warned them over and over. Their continued disobedience led to consequence. And in God's justice, because his love is as sure as his justice, God allowed Israel to fall, to be exiled, to be enslaved by a conquering enemy. But God is faithful. Amen? And God's got plans that he's going to faithfully see through. And he begins to restore Israel. And he brings them back from exile to a land that was to be theirs and to fulfill a purpose even greater than just bringing them back to that land. He would fulfill through Israel his purpose to the world. God's ultimate restoration for Israel was not just bringing them back, but God's ultimate restoration would be for Israel and for the people groups of the entire world. Through the life, death, and resurrection and future coming again of Jesus Christ, here is what God is working on. God is establishing a kingdom that he rules over with no end. It is everlasting. It's a heavenly kingdom that you and I can be a part of. So here's where we're going with today. And I'm not going to tell you how many points there are because it would scare you. Just buckle up and hang on. Here's where we're going. God is speaking to those who are his about what he is doing. And God is speaking to those that are his about what they must do. So let's look at what God is doing in the world. In verse 1, the scripture says, I am coming soon to rescue you. God is telling his people, I'm coming soon to rescue you. God will save. He is rescue. Rescue is salvation. Now, even when his people returned to Israel from exile, that was not their ultimate deliverance that they needed. It was not the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise to rescue. But the attitude of Israel while in captivity was kind of like, man, if we can just get home. If we can all just get home together, things will be like they were. We'll receive the land that God had promised us. Things will be better than they are now. We'll not have a ruler over us that is not for our own people. If we can just get home. In fact, the scripture says in Psalm 126 of this exile and return, Restore our fortunes, Lord, as streams renew the desert. Y'all, we do this. This is what we do. If I could just get home, if this would just come through, if we could just have this amount of money in the bank account, if we could just get this relationship right, if God would just give us this relationship, if we could just have this circumstance to change, if we could do this, if we could do that, we all do this. But here's the problem with that and the problem with Israel. Even if all those things happen, you will still be there. Even as Israel was restored to the land and they're coming back, guess what's there? Them. Sin is still persistent if we are not in Christ. So even if God answers all those things that you may have brought in here today thinking, I just hope he says something that's going to help me to change my circumstance. Well, you better make sure that if God changes your circumstance that you're right with God on the other end of it. Otherwise, you'll just be there. Still separate from God. God's promise of ultimate rescue and rest for Israel was not from a conquering nation. It was for and from themselves. Even when they're peace was peace in their land there was still strife in their life because of sin and, and so what is needed in our life over and above our smothering problems and our smoldering circumstances is for us to have the gap between us and God closed 
So we need to be right with God. We need to have a real relationship with God. And all of this would not just be religious stuff, but that it would be personal. And Jesus, the Son of God, lived and died and rose again to close that gap. So that we might have, not have a figurative relationship with God or something that we hope is a relationship with God. But because Jesus lives, we can have a right and real relationship with God because he gave his life for us and he rose in all the power of God from the grave to give us hope of eternal life. This is the truth of how God brings himself, how he reconciles humanity to himself. This is not a matter of I want my life to get better. This is about a need to be rescued and reconciled to God. So that you may have a future and a hope. When we are right with God, when we have called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be our Savior and our Lord, and the Holy Spirit of God comes into our life, we will begin to then see our circumstances change as now the power of God through the indwelling Holy Spirit comes inside of us. And now we got power and perspective and purpose and principles and God's presence. All because of God. This is what he's doing. He's trying to rescue us from ourselves so that we don't live a life for ourselves that results in what? Vainglory. God will rescue you. He will not only save you, but he will change how you look at everything. We we need a change of perspective. God gives that. And that's what God is doing in the world. That's why we preach this That's why missionaries take the word. This is what else he's doing. Look there in verse 1. Be just and fair to all. Do what's right and good. For I am coming soon to rescue you and to display my righteousness among you. To display my righteousness among you. As we've studied in recent weeks, God is not keeping himself from anybody. If we've got kids in here or if we've got grown folks or adults, senior adults, God has never been hiding himself from you. He wants you to know who he is. He's been working on that since the beginning of the world to every generation to reveal who he is. The scripture says again, for I'm coming soon to rescue you to display my righteousness among you. Now, that word display is synonymous with reveal. God, if you look at the scripture again, is coming soon to rescue and to reveal himself among you. Now, gender reveals are a big thing right now, right? This was, this was after we had kids, I think. Maybe that was going on then, but I don't know. Uh, we didn't do it. But now here, it's cool if you do. But here in the state of Alabama, what we do is, to reveal the gender of our children, we will gather up a group of people, blow something up, and it becomes blue or pink. Like, that's what happens in the state of Alabama, right? Something explodes, or, and, and then all of a sudden we see it, and fires start that way, but whatever. And... This is, this is what happens, so we're revealing, we are, listen to the illustration, we are revealing the truth of what he is, right? Now, if you look in the scripture, when you study the word reveal or display, this is the illustration. Like, it's stripped down so that the truth can be known. So, if you're thinking today, and maybe you've thought, and others are thinking, oh, I, I want to know who God is. I want to know the character of God. I want to know what God's working on. I want to know what he thinks about all this is happening now. I want to know who he was and who he's going to be and who he is. I want to know all those things. I want the answers to the questions that I have because I have questions for God. If that's the case, get ready for the big reveal. Are y'all ready? Are you ready for the big reveal? Y'all can't see it over here, so I'll tell you. Look on the screen. Here's the big reveal. I've been working on that all week long. 
That's it. And that's it. And, and you may think, could you not give it some color? I mean, I, probably, I probably should have. Never been, never been the artist, but Jesus came in a manger and rode in on a donkey. We can handle this too, right? I mean, like, this is, this is how God specifically reveals himself to the world. The missionaries are not taking lights and smoke and strategies. They're taking Jesus and the Bible. Now, it happens in all kinds of ways. But, but this is how God has specifically and specially revealed himself to the world. And we are plan A to be taking Jesus in the Bible across cultures. He will display himself. This is, Jesus is the rightness of God. Jesus is the morality of God. Jesus is the, the visible image of the invisible God is what the scripture says. The scripture says that Jesus is the endorsement for God. If you want to know God, you've got to know Jesus. And the Word of God meets with the Spirit of God to guide us into all truth about what is what as we live and as we die. This God is revealing, and this is what our missionaries are doing. Thirdly, the Scripture says that He will bless. God will bless. It's His desire to bless. Look in verse 2. Verse 2 says, Blessed are all those who are careful to do this. Blessed are those who honor my Sabbath days of rest and keep themselves from doing wrong. And then if you look on down, the idea that the New Living Translation gives for eunuchs and for foreigners is that he, God, will bless those who are eunuchs. God will bless those that are foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord. It is God's... Listen, I think blessing is a whole lot bigger than we think it is. And, and we, we need to grasp this because it's in that Bible a lot. Because from Old Testament to New Testament, it is God's desire to bless the world. It's his desire... That none should perish, but that all would be saved and come to repentance. It is God's desire that the world would be blessed. Now, this, as I study it, as I see it, and we've done a series on this before. I think it was one of our church words too, but it's important to keep in front of you. That blessing is not just a sweet little country word we use in this culture. Blessing is God's purposeful provision and position. God's purposeful provision and position. Now, if you look at this actual word here, the word blessing does mean happiness. So when you read it in the scripture, you would say, happy are all those who are careful to do this. Happy are those who obey my Sabbath and keep themselves from doing wrong. And the word just does. It means happy. But it is greater than just a word because it's a biblical cover-to-cover idea. God's purposeful provision and position. Blessing is purposed happiness that comes from a source. That's what blessing is. It's not self-proclaimed. Like we can't just have something come in and go, oh, it's a blessing. Well, what makes it a blessing? Blessing is not an assigned value to a number on a dollar. Blessing is not how big your house is or a catchy phrase that we use on a southern t-shirt. Blessing is bigger than that. Blessing is determined and purposed and given by God. His purposeful provision and position. Look in the scripture. The scripture says, I will give the eunuch, a memorial, and an everlasting name. See, that's God's provision that he will give. And then it goes on to say, I will bring back the outcast of Israel. I will bring the foreigner to my holy mountain in Jerusalem and, and to fill them with joy in a house that's supposed to be a, a house of prayer. God will bring. This is God's positioning. A blessing is provision and position as purposed by God. Therefore, if we consider our resources a blessing, church, 
then our resources are not ours. They belong to God Almighty. So when somebody asks me to think about giving to something that God values, I'm not offended. I'm never offended. I mean, I can give it, but I'm not going to be offended by when somebody asks me if I would consider giving to something that God cares about. This, if, this is God's provision. What we have, man, nothing belongs to us when you think about it, does it? Nothing. And everything we've got, if we are his, belongs to him and is meant for his glory. And, and so what God has given to us is meant for us to bless God back and be a blessing to somebody else. Because God determines what is a blessing. He provides for and positions for our good, which is awesome, but it's ultimately for his glory. This is what God is working on. He's working to, to bless the world, to save the world, and to display himself to the world. This is what the missionaries today are doing here, there, and everywhere. Church, this is what we're to be doing right here. What mission are you part of right now? How are we revealing God, sharing this truth, living this out before others right now, right where we work? Because the Bible teaches that this is God's desire to rescue people, to display himself, and to purposefully provide for and position people for his glory. Now, in the second section of this message, let us be reminded of who can experience all this. Who is the rescue and the righteousness and the blessing for? Well, the scripture is going to give us three groups that are mentioned here in this passage. Israel, the eunuch, and the foreigner. Let's talk about Israel first. The nation of Israel this is, this is the nation. This is God's people. In the Old Testament, God chose a people for himself. As we're going to look at this in verse 8, at the end of the passage, God says, For the sovereign Lord who brings back the outcast of Israel says, I will bring others too besides my people Israel. Did you just hear what God's word says? God said, My people and outcast that applies to the same folks. His people and outcast, same folks. My people Israel. The early chapters in the Bible in Genesis will tell you about a world that's filled with sin, a world that God deals with because of that. And then after the flood, God chose a people for himself to restore a blessing, a blessing to the world. Through Israel, God's Old Testament people, God introduced his character and will through his promises and his presences to a people group. And that is Israel. If you were a part of the nation of Israel, you were close to the truth. If you were a part of the nation of Israel, you were a part of a culture where God was known. If you were in the nation of Israel, you knew the insider language. Every time y'all got together, you knew how everything went when everybody got together. Does this sound familiar? Does this sound familiar to us? Uh, if you grew up in church, you know everything about what's about to happen. If, if you know what's going on here and you've come in and sat down and we begin to stand and pray and sit down and when, you know how everything, all that goes. Well, listen to me because what I just told you a second ago was God referred to his people as my people and outcasts. Folks, you can be in the church. You can have a granddaddy that preached the gospel. You can belong to six different churches before you die and still not be right with God. Fear and trembling. Fear and trembling is, is how that should sweep over us if we know it. If God's Spirit is drawing you towards a decision point in your life, it could be because all oh, this is well and good, and we're so glad that you're here, but is it personal to you? Have you turned from your sin and turned to God? 
not your family, not your granddaddy. Do you have a right and real relationship with God? Because you can be a part of this culture and still miss it all. This is why we preach this all the time. Amen? This is why we share it like this all the time. If the nation of Israel, the people who at one time had the actual presence of God traveling with them, were called in verse 8, outcast, heard the warnings and all that, you can be part of a godly organization without having a personal relationship with God. But his rest, this is the part that I love. But his rescue and his righteousness, his provision and position were still available to Israel. Still available to you today for it to be real in your life. And then the second group was the eunuch. Look at chapter 56, verse 3, the second half. The scripture says, And don't let the eunuch say, I'm a dried up tree with no children and no future. Specifically, a eunuch had a a physical handicap. It was usually a pain inflicted by someone else. It was usually a pain that was inflicted and done in the name of another religion or idolatrous practice. Maybe it was a foreign allegiance. And this is why the eunuch was kept out of worship in the temple and from service to God for a time. The principle of the plight of a eunuch is one that is so insecure that they are unlikely to ever think that God's truth could apply to them. They know where they've been. They know the things that that characterized them before. They know the things that make them insecure now. All of the things that some people know that they're ashamed of, all of that. And then when they think about God being holy, they, they say things like in the scripture where it says, I've got no future. The eunuch is the, is the outsider, feeling like they'd never be allowed inside of God's inner circle and certainly wouldn't be allowed to serve in his economy. This is the one that, that always feels like they don't know if they can come in here. They don't know what, what it's like to really be in a circle of you because they know what they bring inside the circle and they don't know if you've had those things either. So instead of really seeking it out, they just stay to themselves. I, I will not forget this. I was sharing this with one of our missionary partners this week. It's been years ago, but just down 72 at, at, at a gas station about a half mile down going west. I pulled in, got some gas, I was leaving, and a homeless man was, was standing there. He's there by himself. He had some things around him. And y'all, the Holy Spirit's real. The Spirit of God was really working on me to go and talk to him. Now, I knew in that moment I had a decision to make because I could either be obedient or disobedient. Y'all been there? Because there's a lot of times I've been disobedient. She said, all right, Lord, I'm going to go over there and talk to him. I went and I talked to him. And again, he was homeless. He had his things around them. We began to talk. We began to talk about all kinds of things. And then I tried to switch the conversation like, man, do you have a, are, you, are you right with God? Have you been in church ever? And things of spiritual matters. And I'll never forget this because his last name was Cross. No joke. Cross. And so as I'm sitting there, I was like, man, listen, if you hang around here long enough and you think about going to church, you can go to church where I go. He said, where do you go? I said, if you look right over there at the top of those trees, you'll see a white steeple. I said, that's our church. I said, you can skip on up in there anytime you want. You know what he told me? He said, would you really let me come to your church? I was like, if somebody won't let you, you let me know. Yeah, right? Church, would we let homeless people come in here? Yeah, everybody should say amen to that. 
Well, we will if, forget all that. We're going to take care of you. Let's make sure these doors are open like we see in the scripture. You know what I told him? I said, man, of course you can come to church with us. We would love to have you come in here. But see, this is the feeling if you have a, a legacy of being an outsider. This is what you feel like. Like God would never let me in there, and Lord knows God would never use me to be a preacher or a deacon or a servant of any kind in your economy. That's God's economy. I don't belong in there. I belong out here. Well, this is what God says to the eunuch. Under the strict, strict religion of the law, they were not included in worship. But under grace and mercy and truth of God, all outsiders are welcome. The Bible says in verse 5, I'll give them a memorial and a name far greater than sons and daughters could give. If you know what a eunuch is, a eunuch can't have children. And, and so God is saying, all the things that you desire, I can give you everlasting things that over and above would fulfill all that. I'll give you things in a way that will be so much greater than what you thought you, you always wanted. I'll give you greater things than that. I'm God. God's rescue and his righteousness and his blessing are not for those that think that they deserve it. God's blessing and his righteousness are for those that know they shouldn't get it. The scripture says in Matthew chapter 5 verse 3 that God blesses those who are poor in spirit and recognize their need for him for the kingdom of God is theirs. They know they're bankrupt and they need all he's got. And God will give it to you. So that's the nation of Israel. That's the eunuch. And then there's the foreigner. Verse 3. Verse 3 says, Don't let foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord say, The Lord will never let me be part of his people. Church, if you heard that, what stirs inside of you when you hear that? That there's, there's, there's a foreigner out there who desires to commit themselves to the Lord, but thinks to himself as they're on the outside looking in, the Lord will never let me be part of that. And God says, of course you can be part of that. The foreigner, specifically and ethnically speaking, is a Gentile, who by birth was a stranger to God because he was born outside of the nation of Israel, outside of the promises, outside of the presence of God, outside of the direct hope and blessing. Principally speaking now... The foreigner is one who is just far from the truth. They're just really distant from all that God is and, and, and not knowing who God is. It's the people a lot of times, church, that we see on our TV screens and the screens on the articles of our computers and phones and we've ruled out as our enemies. This is a lot of times who the foreigner is. Maybe they don't believe in God or they doubt God's existence at all. They are not true to the culture. They're far from it. And yet, instead of us thinking as Jesus did when his scripture says that he stood and looked over the crowds with compassion, we write them off as enemies and standing in our way to something that we want. This distance is now more relative to ethics than it is ethnicity. Meaning there are foreigners among us here, there, and everywhere, which is why God sends his mission people here, there, and everywhere. Let us not forget ourselves this morning. For the scripture says in Colossians 1.21, this includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies. You were separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. 
It's really interesting. One of our missionaries the other day was sharing with us, if missionaries had not gotten to his family, if the gospel had not gotten to his family and saved his parents before him and saved him, he said, I would be your number one enemy if the gospel... That's what God does. He works on the side of the inside. You see in the next verse in Colossians, it says there, Yet now God has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. Listen to this part. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Let's not forget ourselves when we see other people once we too were full of sin. That's who we are. We cannot forget that. When we deal with people, how dare we turn our nose up and think, y'all need to know better. Lost people don't know better. Sometimes saved people don't. And I've been there, amen? Don't forget who we are. It's always been God's idea to reach. It's always been God's idea to bless the foreigner. The promise to Israel was a promise through Israel to the nations, to those far from the truth. I will also bless the foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord as it says in verse 6. What does this mean as we talk about the three groups that God is trying to do all this for? It means that everyone who would come to God on his terms can come. Everyone that would repent of their sin and turn to God could come and be a part of his people. If you're here today and you feel like you're on the outside looking in, hear this. Because God loves the world, no one is barred from being a part of God because he's made provision for you to be on the inside. You simply got to come to God on his terms. Now, that's the first two sections. Here's the last one. We're on the home stretch. If we're in Christ, we're no longer an outsider. We're an insider. We're no longer an insecure outsider. We're no longer an outcast insider. We're no longer a foreigner far from God. We, church, have a responsibility. If you live under the covering, you're to act like the coverer. If you are living within the the promises, you're to live within the principles. Are you hearing me? Lord God, would you take us the rest of the way in Jesus' name? See, this is not speaking of obedience unto salvation. This is speaking of salvation down to obedience. This is who we are. Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. Here's our responsibility found in verse 1 and verse 2. Verse 1 says, be just and fair. This is living right, morally right by others. Treating other people right. This is about our relationship with other folks. Now, what we've just read, as we're, we're building this, be just and fair to all, what we've just read is God being just and fair to all, is it not? So because of who he is, we are to be who we are. We are all eligible for redemption and blessing under the terms of God. Here's what I feel very led to share you, knowing what time and season we're in. We are close to an election. And it's important... And I understand that just as you understand it. But don't politicize truth. When you hear be just and fair to all, that does not belong to a political party. Justice and truth belongs to Almighty God. Some of us in here, when we hear be just and fair to all, here's where we immediately go. Well, helping people is not helping people. And then some on the other side, and some of you would be shocked to know that there are people on the other side that are in the kingdom. But some on the other side would go, well, helping people is helping people. And so what we do now is we we take this, be fair and just to all, and we think, what's exactly what we're going to do if we can just get so-and-so elected? Give me a break. 
We've been divided in these parties for how long? Even if your candidate gets elected, you know what's left? You and me. Us, people, in need of the reconciliation of God Almighty. That's, that's what's left is people. So it, listen, if, if, if we would take up if we would take up the call to the Great Commission as important as we take up the call to vote, then maybe we would get somewhere as a church, amen? And I mean that as the universal church. Don't politicize truth. No matter who gets elected, as we said earlier, people are all still going to be here. And then when the people is the nature to sin, therefore while government is set up for God, by God, make no mistake, we need God. Listen, I wrote this down, and don't take it personal unless it's personal. I wrote this down. I want you to hear it. But I really believe it's a word for the church now. Because we're all going to vote. We're all going to vote our convictions. And I believe if we will read the word of God, we'll be guided by the Holy Spirit. We'll do right in all things. But some of us are beginning to deepen our stances so deep that we've forgotten that our feet were made to move. We've forgotten that our hands were made to reach. We're just standing in the truth, but nobody's getting it from us. Because we just entrench ourselves, and we stand up and bow up and talk about all the things that we believe in, yet we're not willing to take it to our neighbor and to a soul outside of us. Be just and fair to all. The second part is to do what's right and good. The, the first part is, to, is about people. The second part is doing right by God. The first was doing right by others, as we said. The second is doing right by God. And look at what he says in verse 1. Be just and fair to all. Do what is right and good. Some of the versions that you're reading may say this. Keep ye judgment. These words actually mean to hedge about. As to say, right and good are the hedges that you need in your life. Right and good are the hedges of life that we are given by God. If you're appalled by the ways of the world, it's because they have no hedges. If you're appalled by the ways of the world, it's because there are no riverbanks or standards put in place by the Holy Spirit of God. Why are we shocked by that? This is, this is, can I tell you this? If God didn't put hedges and, and guardrails and riverbanks in my life, I'd be going everywhere and thinking everything too. Sometimes we still have a struggle with it. But thanks be to God that His Word and His Spirit are guiding us away from ourselves and guiding us towards the truth and to the ways of God. Finally, observe His commandments. Verse 2. Blessed are all those who are careful to do this. Blessed are those who honor my Sabbath days of rest and keep themselves from doing wrong. Yes, there's absolutely a standard. And it's to be upheld by those who know it. Amen? And then thirdly, again, observe his commandments. There's an emphasis here on the Sabbath because it was the epitome of the Mosaic Covenant. Like if, if you claim to know God, then you upheld the Sabbath. You worked for six, and on that one day, you didn't do anything. And this was how you showed to the world that you were dedicated to the Lord. You were commanded to observe it. You did, and you observed a day dedicated to the Lord, and you were to be refreshed. It's all there in Exodus chapter 31, verses 12 through 18. As I understand it, this is not a commandment of New Testament believers. All right? However, by principle's sake, and we study the principles of the Scripture all the time, 
a day set aside to honor God and break from the world is a biblically good practice. Are you hearing me? A day where we break from the schedule, from ball, from everything. I know where I live and what I'm preaching. The day when we break from all those things, from our job, there needs to be a time set aside in the week where we are breaking to honor the Lord. I've never seen, now that being said, I've never seen Sunday, Wednesday, or any other gathering times as a rule to be followed for spiritual life. It's not a rule. Rather, it is a privilege to break from the world and to dedicate time to the Lord God and to His church. To worship and to learn and to fellowship with each other. I'm going to close with this illustration. On Thursday of this week, our, our missions pastor, Brother Eric, set up a virtual mission trip for us. And we were in the Foundation Worship Center. We had a huge screen. Our tech team that does a wonderful job has made it possible through a missionary partnership called Come Go With Us. And the Buckners are here, and, and they set this up. So we did a virtual mission trip between about 30 folks from Lindsay Lane into the bush, so to speak, in Zambia, Africa. So they are, by Zoom, by Zoom, and that's a word now when you just say it, everybody knows what it means. But by Zoom, they could see us and we could see them. And they saw us sitting in the Foundation Worship Center. We saw them. They had gotten up that morning. They were gathered together there in a dirt patch in front of a school building where the school let them meet in one of the rooms. Okay? So we're looking at each other through the screens. A, a, a pastor and friend from this church shared a word of devotion to them. But here's the deal. We got in there at around 10. They had been sitting there all day long. They got there that morning, and they stayed there to that evening. And I thought to myself, if it would have been me, I'd have got there but about three minutes late, as I always do. I like and I did. I, asked, I went and asked him the question. By the time I had a microphone, they could hear me. I'm speaking through wires to Zambia. And I said, why is it that you've been waiting all day and that you didn't arrive closer to time? And I wrote this down because this is what the man said. We've been waiting all this time because we've been waiting on the word of God. Church, are you hearing me today? If, this was, if your cars are down and live streams off and all we could do is walk here and we may have to wait a while, but we do it. Well, if it got desperate enough, yeah, come on. I don't know that they're in a desperate situation. It may just be that they really believe this stuff. It may just be that they really love and understand what God's done for them. Yeah, but they gave up the whole day. You know, they don't have as much going on as we do, really. And thanks be to God for that. Amen. But they felt it so important, they just shut down everything. You know, if you're reading the scriptures, you'll see some of that stuff. You'll see it. You'll see it when Josiah became king. And they hadn't had the word because it was buried under some rubble. And he brings it back out and he begins to preach. And the people sit there and they just weep. Because they have not heard what's in it. And then they do. And their hearts before God begin to break. They had sat there all day long. Listen, I wrote this down. We are unlikely to take this word to others if we are unlikely to read it and live it for ourselves. Let's pray.
Lord, this is your word to your people. And your word, Lord, to those that need you. So, Lord, I'm, I'm turning this time over to you now. This is a time of invitation, God. If, even if we sit here and we think, I don't know what I'm to do, I pray, God, that you would move them. Lord, knowing our pastors are here and we have people that would talk to them, but God, knowing they have the opportunity right where they are just to call upon your name and for you, Lord, to reveal truth in their life. Oh, God, we need you. And pray, oh, God, that we would be a church that continues to support those who are being sent. Lord, I thank you for the faithfulness of this congregation. Lord, it's just my prayer that we all understand what we are getting into. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus for those under the sound of of your word that are considering missions right this very moment, that are considering a call to preach or to serve, God, that you would just move them. And Lord, for those of us that have been in your way for a long time, that our hearts would still be pliable for you to change us and mold us towards who you'd have us to be. Lord, we open this altar We stand here as pastors ready to receive people. We sing and we worship. We respond for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.